This is Chris. Welcome to episode 344 of X-Last, where we are kicking off our X-Force doubleheader today. Uh, we're kicking things off with the annual. Next time out, we're going to be taking a look at, uh, I want to say it's issue 27. So um, let's get on into it here, because I'm actually scheduled to have my uh, my COVID recheck in just like a, an hour. So, so without any further ado and pre-ramble, let's hop right on in. We are talking, of course, about X-Force Annual number one. I believe there have been like three or four other X-Force Annual number ones uh, over the course of the past, you know, quarter century or so, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll go with it. Uh, This is a June 2022 cover date. The story's called Lab Work, written by Nadia Shamas, who I've never heard of before. Art by Raphael Pimentel, colors Carlos Lopez, letters VCs Joe Caramagna, designs Tom Muller, Edits Baumgartner, Basso, White, Sabolski, cover price $5. This one went on sale April the 6th of 2022. Now, let's look at the cover here. Um, it's a cover that, you know, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover. Um, but it, this one really doesn't inspire much confidence, uh, at least for me. It's our X-Force strike team battling some Orcus-branded Sentinels. Which, you know, it does actually answer one of my questions that I've had over the past a couple of years now, um, we see that, like, the Sentinels are always, like, the cause of the X-Men's undoing, and yet we never see the Sentinels, like, in current day. So, maybe this is where they've been all along, I, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, let's crack it open here, and we open in Beast's lab, where he and Sage are discussing the most recent outing that he sent the X-Force strike team on. Now, they've allegedly been sent out to retrieve a stolen shipment of Magic Med flowers from Orcus, now, that probably seems like a pretty dumb premise, and throughout the issue it'll become clear as to why that is. Now, Sage doesn't seem to trust Hank's judgment all that much, which, you know, completely stands to reason. Uh, once off the line with him, she makes a call to... someone. And uh, not a single panel later, we find out that that someone is... well, who else? It's Emma Frost, because it's been a few pages since we were last reminded about how awesome she is. Now, she click-clacks her way into Beast's lab to interrogate him for a bit. Hank, unsurprisingly, isn't pleased at all at the fact that he's being questioned, and, well, he doesn't even really try to hide that fact. He's, like, openly aggressive. Now, he doesn't think any of this falls under Emma's purview either, and, uh, well, he's not wrong, because Emma, well, she's not a part of Hellfire anymore. And, uh, you know, thank goodness our writer actually remembered that. Now, it's doubtful that the editors would have corrected them they were wrong, so it's a good thing that uh, Nadia knew. Anyway, Emma claims that she checked in with the Marauders and learned that there was no stolen shipment of flowers. 
and so she demands to know what's really going on here. We scene shift to our strike force as they approach the Danaki Depression in Ethiopia. And we're at the uh, Erta Ales Lava Lake, which is a real thing that exists on our planet, though it appears to be far less colorful than it's being depicted here. Oh, and while we're discussing depictions, um, I probably should say right here, the art in this book is very, very nice. I especially enjoy the way that Beast is drawn. It's almost like a throwback to his 90s look, but with like a more modern flair. I mean, really, really good stuff. Solid, clean, really nice to look at. Anyway, Domino asks what Orcus could possibly do with the stolen flowers, since it's not like they could actually grow them. Wolverine suggests that they're probably going to try to reverse engineer them, which completely stands to reason. Now they hop out of the jet and they descend toward the ground below. From here we get our double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Beast, Wolverine, Sage, Domino, Emma Frost, and Kid Omega. Now, okay, you know, I've really been enjoying this story up to this point. Dare I say, it doesn't even feel remotely like an annual. I wonder if that'll change over the course of the next three to four pages. Huh. Okay, so Orcus is holed up inside a volcano. Quentin dutifully blasts X-Force's way in. Inside, we see some nondescript corridors and no signs of life. Then, Quentin gets nabbed by, like, a rat king of sentinels. Um, now, I'm sure this isn't supposed to look quite as a cartoony as it does, but he's literally being grabbed by, like, a half-dozen robot hands. It's, it's kind of silly-looking. Then, Wolverine finds himself slammed into the ceiling. Now, you see, the cause of this is that there are magnets at work here. And since he's got something of a, you know, fatal attraction to magnets, he's kind of at their mercy. Domino sees this all go down and just runs away down the hall, where she happens upon, looks like four dice stuck into the ground, with like pips one through four showing. For some absolutely nutter reason, she decides to step on one, with both feet. <laughs> it turns out, almost unsurprisingly, that it's a trap door, and she falls down into what looks like a rounded flask. So I gotta ask, has, a, has Arcade joined Orcus? Maybe it's Nightmare, I don't know. In any event, yeah, I'm starting to get that old X-Men annual feeling. Um, so this whole thing is a trap. It's, uh, it's an Orcus trap. Uh, a fellow named Albert Carey is trying to test the limits of the X-Forcers with a particular interest in Quentin Quire. From here, we hop back to the point where Emma and Hank continue to argue a bit more. Uh, this isn't bad. This isn't bad dialogue here, but it does get quite repetitive. It's basically Emma throwing beasts bastardness in his face over and over and over again. And at no point does he really deny this, but Emma kind of treats it like he does. And I mean, we've talked at length about Beast's bastardness before, and how at the end of the day, I'm actually a big proponent of it. I mean, I've said it before, I feel like he's mostly justified in his actions as a man of science who suddenly has no ethical tether. Not to mention, he also is tasked with the responsibility of keeping his people safe. From here, we get an info page, and, uh, whew, holy smokes, um, I gotta ask here, what is it with the Destiny of X info pages? I mean, I've talked about how some of them are, like, mostly blank back in the long ago. These are not. These are full-on walls of text. Uh, anyway, it's Albert Carey of uh, Orcus's notes on X-Force. Now, Kid Omega's bits have some redactions. Uh, Carrie seems to believe that he might be the key to understanding Cerebro. 
And there's also some anti-psychic sort of element to it, which is very, very interesting. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And uh, for those keeping track, uh, this is Orcus experiment number 459. Speaking of Orcus, let's get back to those traps. Quentin finds himself in a room being bombarded with sound waves. And this causes him to suffer some flashbacks. First, to the time that he accidentally killed his parents. Then to his chosen cuckoo walking away from him. Quentin has a moment of clarity where he suggests that uh, usually, well, he'd be dead by this point in the mission, which, I mean, yeah, probably. From here we hop over to Logan, who's being sliced and diced by some, I assume, non-ferrous sentinels. Wolverine acts uh, more than a little bit surprised that he's being taken out via magnets, which really doesn't play. I mean, his de-adamantaming back in 1993 was a pretty big deal, wasn't it? Eh, maybe, maybe our writer isn't aware of that story since it happened before 2019. Who knows? Then, we hop over to Domino, who is deep within the bowels of the volcano inside that glass flask. Now, the lava is starting to steam the bottle up that she's in, but then her luck powers activate in a pretty creative way. You see, she triggers a small eruption, which negates the magnets holding Wolverine at bay. Now, this is a bit like right out of the Percy playbook. You know, you learn something a little sciency, then you write your story backwards from that. Anyway, the long and short of it is that Wolverine is free. Logan luckily falls right into the Orcus control room where he sees what's going on with Quentin. He rushes to QQ's aid, chopping up sentinels all along the way. From here, we shift back over to the point for more Emma and Hank saying the same stuff. Uh, Emma accuses Beast of sending X-Force on a suicide mission. He does not deny this. And when he explains himself, eh, he's kind of got a point. Um, now, if Orcus has a way to take them out, it's probably in their best interest to know that, right? And I mean, each member of X-Force has been resurrected several times already. So are we, like, really all of a sudden worried about, like, devaluing life? Because if that's the case, I ain't buying it. Because you just can't have it both ways. Especially in a book like X-Force, where death has been treated like a punchline in most cases. Anyway, Beast is also quite interested in Orcus's potential anti-psychic data machinery tech, which will hopefully play out sometime during the X-Force series. Though, of course, a reminder that this is an annual, and sometimes these things are relegated to, uh, I guess we could call it Earth 2. Um, from here, we hop back to the volcano. Wolverine finds his way to Quentin, and together they find the hole that Domino fell down. Logan drops a sentinel corpse down the well, which uh, Domino rewires and rides back up to the surface. The Strike Force realizes that there aren't any Kirkoan Magic Med flowers here, but they decide to take the Orcus computer back with them, which is kind of exactly what Beast wanted in the first place. Now, Albert Carey is not too pleased. But also, he just sees this as another possible result of his experiment. We get some spoo about replication and empiricism as our heroes make their way out. We head back to the point where X-Force radios into Beast to give him an update, and he kind of throws it in Emma's face that the team survived. We close out on the flight home where it's hinted heavily that Quentin has a pretty good idea that they were just used as tools. That's where we leave it. Uh, next time out, probably none of this will be followed up on in the pages of X-Force number 27, but hopefully hopefully some of these bits will be picked up again somewhere down the line. Let's talk about it here. Um, 
this issue did have a little bit of the annual stink on it, where it's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna test the limits of each. You know, we're gonna have these traps that are suitably tailored to each character and see how they get out of it here. That said, I really really enjoyed it. I thought this was a wonderful issue, a, a true shock because going into a current year annual with a writer who I've never heard of before doesn't and a cover that really didn't inspire any confidence made me really not want to <laughs> engage with this one much at all. I'm shocked at how good it was. It was really, really fun. It actually put some pieces in place that could be followed up on later and be very, very vital in telling X-Force's story, especially as it pertains to to Beast and the, the gaining of knowledge as to what their enemy might have in store for them or might have planned for them. I thought this was really, really good, and I thought the characters all acted perfectly in character, which, I mean, we can't say that for uh, some of our seasoned writers here, let alone a brand new one. And, and I don't know I don't know this writer, I don't know if they're brand new, uh, but they are new to us. So with that said, I, I thought this was very, very good. You know, um, we could talk a little bit about different elements of this here, the anti-psychic technology that Orcus is working on. That's very interesting stuff here. Uh, with everything on Krakoa have, having such a tether to psychic powers, I mean, Cerebro in and of itself is like a way to upload and download full psyches. So this is very interesting. This is very interesting, and I'm I'm hopeful that we're going to see more about this here. Uh, Orcus might not have won the day, but they learned something, right? Albert Carey, was it? Uh, he, he learned something here. And, I mean, that's a big part of the scientific method. You know, you have your hypothesis, you test it, and you play it out. You know, if it pays off the way you think it will, then you try to, you know, redouble. You try to, you know, replicate those results and those findings. If it doesn't work, you go back to the drawing board, which I think is something that Orcus... It should be the focus of Orcus. You know, you keep going back to the drawing board, which makes it sort of... Analogous to, you know, Mora era post hoxpox here where it's just test, retest, three test, right? You try to change the outcomes to suit your hypothesis or to at least disprove or prove your hypothesis. So this is very, very interesting stuff here and I liked it. I also like the fact that we can see something here very, very clear that Orcus learned. You know, Orcus did not understand Domino's powers. Domino was put in that flask, pretty much screwed, right? Left to her own devices here. Couldn't use her luck-based hoodoo to help herself, but didn't take into account that her luck-based hoodoo could potentially wind up helping one of her teammates, who then can in turn help her. So I think that was a pretty cool twist here, because her powers didn't help her. They helped Wolverine, and then Wolverine came and helped her. Very creative, and also somewhat unexpected uh, especially coming out of such a, you know, sort of kind of boilerplate story. So very, very good stuff here. I enjoyed it. I hope we see more from this writer in the uh, months to come here. I think uh, she's got a really good voice for this, really good uh, feel for these, uh, for these characters and this era. So as much as I can't believe I'm saying this, this is an annual that I'd recommend checking out. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I ever said an annual should be checked out, but here we are <laughs> with a very good one. Hopefully one that the, you know, the story bits dropped here are picked up on later uh, down the line. But 
That's about all I got to say about this issue, and of course, these are all my opinions, so um, I would love to hear yours as well. If you read this and had a similar take or a totally different take, I would love to hear those takes, and I will give you the contact information in just a little bit. But first, we actually have some mailbag here. It's been a while since I've done the mailbag, so um, hopefully I haven't forgotten how. <laughs> um, it's been It's been a while, hasn't it? Let's get into it here. But before, actually, before I get into the mail itself here, I do want to thank a lot of folks who uh, had some very nice things to say about, uh, well, just the fact that the show is back. Um, it's been very, very nice and uh, surprisingly so. Uh, you know, I didn't think people noticed <laughs> that it was gone in the first place. So uh, the fact that people were pleased or happy that it was back uh, really does mean a lot. So. Let's hop into the mailbag here. We're going to start with Jesse, who's talking about Sabretooth number two. Now, he says, Although slightly confusing, and I'm going to blame Marvel's problems with shipping for that, I liked this issue. I read issue number three back-to-back with this one yesterday, and I freaked out when a character near and dear to my heart got an appearance and also got more lines than they've had in the past 20 years combined. I can't wait to hear your feedback on issue number three. Huh, well... Let's uh, put our detective hat on here. This is Jesse. So I'm going to guess that this character is from Generation X. I mean, that's not a hot take. That's not a far reach. I'm guessing they're from Generation X. So let's let's go deeper here. Now, the Generation X core cast, who has not been seen or heard from much in the past two decades? Let's see. We've seen Paige, right? Paige has been around. Paige is a fallen angel, for you know, by God. Uh, so she's around. M, unfortunately, is around because X-Corp is a thing that exists. Uh, Chamber, we've seen Chamber. We've seen Chamber in, uh, in New Mutants. Emma and Banshee, we've seen. Mondo, we've seen. Mondo was in that first arc of New Mutants. Uh, Jubilee, of course, is everywhere. Who could it be? Huh. Well, maybe when we get to Sabretooth number three, we'll get the uh, the skin knee on who that might be. Huh. And, you know, we've talked about this before, how weird it is, how, like, Generation X is like this, it's like a lost generation of, uh, of young Marvel mutants here. We always get these, like, revisits to the new mutants, you know, the, the legacy new mutants, Cannonball, Danny, uh, Sunspot. We, we see them all the time. And then we see, like, the new ones, too, or the newer ones. But they we always skip Gen X. It's very, very strange how they're in that weird, like, nebulous area where it's like, how do you even treat these characters? Because some of them are still treated younger and some of them are treated older. It's a very strange bit of business here. But um, I'm hoping that in Sabretooth number 3 we, we finally see old Angelo again. We haven't seen him... Have we even seen him alive yet since Hoxpox? I can't remember. Uh, the last thing I remember about Skin is the fact that he was killed in a Chuck Austin story where, like, he was buried on the uh, the X-Men lawn and they gave him the wrong name on his tombstone. <laughs> so, I mean, I give the editors crap now. I mean, I guess that's something that's been around for forever. But thank you so much for writing in, Jesse. I really, really appreciate it. I can't wait to discuss issue three of Sabretooth. Next up, we got Evan talking about Immortal X-Men number one. Now, Evan says, welcome back. I was happy to see Immortal X-Men number one arrived on Marvel Unlimited right after this episode dropped. 
You see, sometimes I'm relevant, you know. <laughs> when I'm relevant, it's uh, it's usually uh, inadvertent. <laughs> it's always an accident. Uh, Evan continues. I thought it was an interesting issue, and I quite enjoyed Sinister's POV, quite more than I expected. Twelve issues with a different Quiet Council member would be an interesting approach, but I kind of hope we get more Sinister narration. My thoughts exactly. I When when I opened this issue and I saw that it was going to be all from Sinister's point of view, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to care for it. You know, I didn't know if I was going to like it. I didn't know if it was going to play itself out. But by the time we got to the end of the issue, it's like I almost didn't want to say goodbye. I want more. I want more sinister narration here. I think he is like the yeah. What would you call him in an RPG? Is like chaotic, whatever. Chaotic neutral, chaotic whatever. I don't know. But he seems like like the perfect point of view character for us because he's not terribly reliable, but at the same time, he's not terribly dishonest either. You know, we know that he's in this for himself, so everything is going to go through the prism that he... Everything he says is going to be viewed through, like, his bias. And I quite like that. I think there's a lot of uh, interesting possibilities there. And, I mean, I'm not sure I want to read an entire issue from, like, Exodus's point of view or Colossus's point of view. But we'll see. I mean, we don't know what's what at this point. I haven't read the second issue yet. So, for all I know, it could be more sinister narration. I don't know. Uh, Evan continues, I was a bit confused by the Mora clone reveal because I thought he, I thought he was learning his sinister secrets and the future by killing the clones and getting their knowledge. But then how does that not reset the timeline? Or, as I've argued, how does the clone not move into a different reality, thus denying him their knowledge? Now, this is very, very strange. And I, this is a part of the issue that I actually struggled with, and I wasn't sure how I was going to handle it on the show because... I really didn't understand it. You know, I don't know if it's my uh, the COVID cloud I'm living in or if I'm just an idiot <laughs> or just, uh, you know, or, you know, regularly dense. I don't know. But I wasn't quite sure how this worked. I, I didn't know if, uh, like, was Sinister trying to harness this power for himself? Were we going to get into, like, Sinister clones with the Mora power? I really don't know. Um, I'm guessing that this will be... Uh, this will be further explained. I, at least I hope it'll be further explained, and hopefully it will be explained to us as though we are five years old, because this is the sort of thing I feel like I need to have explained to me like I'm five. Back to Evan, who wraps up with, As for the idea of Jesus being a mutant, well, that's just Exodus's opinion, man. <laughs> Apologies for the movie reference. I took it as a throwaway line that won't have any repercussions in story. Now, I hope you're right. I really hope you're right, because uh, as I said during that episode, um, that could get sticky, that could get hinky, and I really don't see, I don't really see the benefits of it, because, I mean, if you become the writer of Jesus Christ in the current day, there are a lot of liberties you can take, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of beliefs you can project into a character like that, or into a figure like that, that, um, I don't know, I just don't have the, I'm not optimistic about how Marvel would handle that. I could only see that as hurting people, you know, I, I don't see benefits of that, I can only see that as a way to kind of, uh, mock 
you know, certain people and make them feel really bad about themselves. And I mean, the comics circle, the comics fandom is shrinking enough as it is. <laughs> so I think uh, we need to maybe not go out of our way to push people out of the fandom or turn people off from, you know, the books here. So fingers crossed, maybe this is just Exodus spouting, Exodus maybe um, adding some sort of a valuation to the concept of being a mutant rather than something that will play itself out. Uh, You know, as interesting as that might be, it's also got the potential of being uh, hurtful. And uh, I don't think we need to go down that road. I mean, current year Marvel is going out of their way to push a lot of people out of the fandom at this point. We don't need to add to that. But um, I think we'll put a pin in that sort of discussion for (laughs) for the moment. But uh, thank you. So very much for writing in, Evan. As, as always, I, I love hearing from you, and it really does mean a lot to me. But uh, that'll do it for the mailbag here. If anybody out there is interested in being part of the mailbag, I would beg you to do so. You can find me several different ways. As I've said before, you know, I'm, I'm just one, I'm just a fan. You know, I'm just a fan here who has his own opinion, right, wrong, indifferent, whatever. I like your opinions more than my own, usually, so I'd love to hear them. Uh, you can find me several different ways. I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics. I'm on Instagram at 90sXmen. You can send an old-fashioned email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Labs voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts, show notes, and another place you can leave comments, you can go to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You could also chat us up on Facebook. Our group is 90sXmen. Uh, for the complete audio archives, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com or just look up Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill anywhere the internet aggregates noise. And boy, I almost made it through the outro without a coughing fit. Almost. This close. Anyway, that is where we'll leave it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend a little bit of your day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.